Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is! Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Germans? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now! Because when the going gets tough... The tough get going! Who's with me? Let's go! Come on! What the f*** happened to the Delta I used to know? Where's the spirit? Where's the guts? Huh? This could be the greatest night of our lives. But you're gonna let it be the worst. Oh, we're afraid to go with you, Pluto. We might get in trouble. Well, just kiss my ass from now on! Not me! I'm not gonna take this! Warmer, he's a dead man! Marmalade, dead! Niedermeyer! Dead. Pluto's right. Psychotic, but absolutely right. We gotta take these bastards. Now, we could fight them with conventional weapons. That could take years and cost millions of lives. No, no, no. No, in this case, I think we have to go all out. I think this situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Let's do it. Michael Preston. It's always good to listen to Blue's speech before a big week. I feel like it gets you really pumped up, you know? It gets you pumped up for your day to run out and drink a whole bottle of Jack Daniels in front of a fraternity at the University of Oregon, which is where they shot that film. Actually, if you are a big fan of Animal House, and you should be, you can see the scene where um, Pinto is uh, in the stadium with the mayor's daughter. If you look really carefully in the background, it is Autzen Stadium. You can see, I think, the WSU and UW, uh, like they, they display all the teams in the Pac-10. They have the like uh, signs for UW and WSU in the background. They didn't even bother to take them down. They just left them up there. So yeah, that, there's a fun little piece of trivia I'm sure you all knew anyway. The Kooks and I are back for Apple Cup Week. We have got a loaded show. Two beat writers on it for you. Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review and Christian Capel from the Tacoma News Tribune. Christian, of course, covers UW after many years of doing a great job on Jacob's Beat, which he does a great job with now. Uh, we'll talk to both of them, then our Dunderhead of the Week, and ask Michael anything uh, as usual. First time in 71 days that WSU lost a game when they lost to Colorado in Boulder uh, last Saturday, 38-24. And, you know, I, I talked about this 
a little bit after the game. And it wasn't a matter of, you know, I'm not trying to make a moral victory out of something. Oh, you stay within 14 of the number 12 team in the country on the road and all that good jazz. But, I mean, that that, that was a better football team playing like it in the second half. And WSU making a lot of very uncharacteristic mistakes for WSU this year. Drop passes. Uh, missed tackles. All these mistakes we saw them making are definitive of what Jacob's going to talk about in a minute. A tight football team. They're playing very tight. Playing worried. Luke Falk not hitting passes where he used to. He was 26 of 53 on, on Saturday. Completed less than half of his passes. Now granted, some of those are drops by the receivers, including Gabe Marks' one in the end zone, which I, I'm i going to give him the biggest of passes on that one because for as dependable as he has been over the years, he gets one. Like He probably gets more than that, but I, I, I can't be mad at him. I mean, yeah, it stinks that he dropped that in the end zone, but I, you know, I think he probably thought it was meant for Kyle Sweet, who was right in front of him, and I'm, I'm just not willing to, you know, it happens. That's how it goes sometimes. They're college kids. But the biggest thing to me, and okay, you know, so not completing half of his passes, Colorado had nine pass breakups. Nine. That's an absurd number of pass breakups. Absolutely insane. They just were not completing passes. And that, I mean, you know, if you take that away from WSU, you're taking away the offense, essentially. They did run the ball effectively. Average 6.2 yards per attempt, a little bit more if you don't take out the sack yardage like the NCAA does. And Colorado is only at 4.4 yards per rush. That is pretty decent. The problem is when you allow Colorado to convert 13 of their 21 third down attempts. 21 of Colorado's 100 plays. They ran 100 plays on Saturday. 21 of those plays were third downs. 13 of them were converted. That is how you lose a football game. Right there. Besides the fact that Colorado was on the field for more than 20 minutes in the second half. And yeah, okay. We don't put stock in in time of possession in terms of, you know, well, a team that wins time of possession is probably going to win the game. It's not how it works with Mike Leach most of the time. But when you're at elevation, when you're at 5,300 feet, and I know Pullman's at 2,500 feet, but the difference is, is still going to be significant. When you are at 5,300 feet in the air, at elevation, 20 minutes on the field's a long time. You're going to be gassed. The defense spent 20 minutes on the field in the second half. No wonder you allow 13 of 21 third down conversions. They even had them in longer third downs at times. And still allowed them to pick up first downs. Sefo Lufau killed them 
on the ground. Killed them through the air. And WSU really got out physicaled in that game. For the first time in a long time, probably since the UCLA game, they've been, they played a really good defense and it showed. I still think WSU is a top 25 team. But they ran in to a really, really good and probably better football team. Colorado deserves to be in the top 10 and they will be come Tuesday when the rankings come out. Colorado deserves it. And you tip your cap to them. This was not WSU going away from home as a ranked team and falling to someone they shouldn't have. This was losing to a better football team. You just, you tip your cap to it. It happens sometimes. It sucks because, and it's been nice, you have not been used to this in the last two months. This football team hasn't lost in the last two months. That's pretty neat. (laughs) That's pretty good. But WSU lost to a better football team. And the good thing we can say about it is they had opportunities to win that football team. To win that football game, rather. If Gabe Marks does haul in that pass, if they stick to their assignments, if they don't let Colorado convert all those third downs. I know we're playing a big what-if game, but they had opportunities to win. This is not years past where I'm trying to take a moral victory out of something. This is one very good football team playing one slightly better very good football team. These teams are have both resurged to, to, to being winning programs. And Colorado is senior laden this year. If it was going to happen for them, it was going to happen this year. As it turns out, we all didn't really think this about them. We thought this would be an easy tune-up before the Apple Cup to start the year. Well, boy were we wrong. They played a better football team on Saturday and they lost. I, I, I guess for me it's as simple as that. It really is as simple as that. You played a team in Colorado that came out prepared to play. And I'm not I'm not saying WSU didn't come out prepared to play. They were prepared, obviously. But in the second half, they got absolutely beaten up. Absolutely beaten up. Got outscored 24 to 7 in the second half. Took the lead with 318 to go in the third quarter. And that was the last time they would lead the game. Colorado just imposed themselves on WSU in the second half. Stinks. Would love to have won that football game. Get a really good quality win over a really good opponent. But here's the good news. You control your destiny this week. You are still in control. You are in the driver's seat. 
Washington is a better football team than Colorado. I do not doubt that. But at the end of the year, all you could ask for was to control your own destiny. To make sure that come the Apple Cup, you have a chance to go to the Pac-12 championship. And they do. Win and you are in. It is that simple for both of these teams. That simple. And I think coming into this game, there is more pressure on the visitors from Seattle. Not only do they have a Pac-12 championship on the line, they have an appearance in the college football playoff on the line. UW stands to lose a lot more from this football game if they lose. I'm not saying I, you know, I, I, I want I want WSU to win this football game, but let's not play about who's got more to lose. WSU loses the game, they're going to be eight and four, same as they were last year. A little disappointing given how they've been the last couple of months, but still a pretty good season, and still a season I'd be happy with. You're going to go to a decent bowl game, probably end up in the Holiday Bowl, maybe if the chips fall right. But eight and four is still pretty good considering where the season started. UW's 9-1, and they've been in the top six of the CFP ever since the rankings started. They have got a lot more to lose from losing this game. The pressure is squarely on them. WSU has the Rose Bowl to lose. That's, That's big. I admit that. But this season is still considered a success, I think, if they lose this football game. Is UW season a success if they lose this football game? God, no. Uh-uh. No way. They doom themselves to no better, absolutely no better than the Alamo Bowl with a loss here. The pressure is squarely on them to win this football game. And I think WSU got a good blueprint about what to expect from UW's defense and playing Colorado. Physical, and they're going to try to beat you up. And they can beat you up. They have the athletes to do it. Jake Browning's not going to miss the throws like Sefo Lufau did deep. I can guarantee you that too. It's a rivalry game. One you haven't won since 2012. Mike Leach knows he gets a bonus for winning this football game too. Don't think Mr. One Game at a Time, he knows that little clause in his contract. He gets 25000 bucks if he wins this game. Win this game and you stay alive for the Rose Bowl. Win this game and at minimum, you're playing in the Pac-12 championship. There is pressure on WSU to be sure. But I think it is far less than what UW faces. And for that reason, I think it helps WSU play a little looser. Not tightened up as much. Go out, have fun, win the game. Go out, have fun, dab on him a little bit, Marcellus. They control their own destiny here. Hard to believe after those first two weeks that the Apple Cup, 
you win this game, you're in the Rose Bowl. The stakes have not been this high in 80 years. But you're still the team with less to lose, believe it or not. And I will admit, dooming UW to miss the college football playoff and the Rose Bowl and the Pac-12 championship. It's like three birds and one stone. That'd be pretty friggin' fun, wouldn't it? Rain and cold and wind make it worth my trip. That would make it worth it. I would be one warm and very happy camper. You win this football game on Friday. Very happy. Very, very happy. Jacob Thorpe coming up next. We'll have Christian Capel on in a bit as well as we continue here on the Cook Center Hour. On the Coop Center Hour, Christian Capel, our yearly visit with him of the Tacoma News Tribune, is going to come up here in a bit. First, going to this is it's an all beat writer all the time show this week here on the Coop Center as we check in with Jacob Thorpe, our own beat writer from the Spokesman Review. Uh, Jacob, first time in 71 days that football team had lost when they lost to Colorado 38 to 24. It had been a while since everybody had had to be familiar with. The feeling of losing. Uh, talking to them after the game, I mean, it, you know, not happy with their performance entirely, but I, I think at least they needed to see some, at least some good things they got out of that, right? I mean, still, you know, number ten team in the country, and you were, you were in the game despite some mistakes until the end of it. Yeah, well, I, I, I've been kind of shocked at how uh, how down it seems like uh, Washington State fans and, and even some of the players, to tell you the truth, were after. After that loss, you know, I, I heard people uh, projecting what they expected the the line on the Apple Cup to be. And, you know, I was hearing, oh, you know, Huskies by thirteen, Huskies by fourteen, and I was thinking be, because they lost in the fourth quarter of a close game on the road against the number ten team in the country. You know, I, I think Washington State acquitted itself pretty well against what is clearly a a really really good Colorado team, and uh, I do think the players took it pretty hard. It, it's it's rough finding out that you uh, you know you're mortal and that when you haven't lost since week two you've been on this just stretch of win after win after win mm-hmm. uh, to to have a team sort of impose its will on you in the way that Colorado did for the for the defense to to just not be able to get off the field time and time again on all twelve of those third downs when Sappho or Luke or Philip Lindsay or whoever would just get just enough to to keep Colorado on the field. You know that that's tough. That takes a little bit out of your psyche, but but you know, with a, a short week in the Apple Cup coming up, there's certainly a, a lot to look forward to here, and uh, certainly that can snap the players out of their funk. Or you know, it's sure better because Washington's a pretty good team. But it's uh, you know, as, as far as that game, it, it it was a tough one for the Cougars to lose, but it didn't 
really have that much of an impact in terms of the Cougars still control their own Rose Bowl destiny heading into the, the Apple Cup, mm-hmm. and, and that's a pretty good place to be. Yep. Uh, I, I the one thing I you know we saw I think in that game Jacob that surprised us so much were just kind of the uncharacteristic mistakes missed tackles we haven't really seen a lot of that this year a lot of drop passes especially a big one from Gabe Marks who again I'm gonna give him a big old pass on that one because what the kid's done for WSU in the last few years is incredible it, did that did that surprise you a little bit that I mean yeah you're playing a very very good Colorado Buffaloes team I don't think there's any denying they're one of the best teams in the country this year. But did those kind of, I mean, those mistakes have been uncharacteristic this year. Did it surprise you to see them crop up a little bit more on Saturday? Because it certainly took me by well, surprise. Well, the, the drops are glaring, and I think that's what sort of worries them. Because you have seen this team tense up and get tight in these games. I've, I've heard former players say a few times that, you know, these last couple Apple Cups, they, they think the players were in their own heads a little bit. And, and you, I think you saw some of that on uh, Saturday, and I think that's what's really troubling in terms of the missed tackles, well, they, they haven't really been trying to tackle people like Seppo Lufo. You know, I mean, yeah. he's, he's 230 pounds at quarterback, still a great athlete, and he wasn't he wasn't a uh, a running quarterback because he runs a four five. He runs he's a running quarterback because he's basically a, a big running back who can throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, those guys are going to shake some tackles, and he he dipped out of a couple sacks that that showed how elusive he was. But I don't necessarily think it's uh, fair to shock those up entirely as a mistake. That was just a, a great football player making a great football play. Mm-hmm. The, the drops, are, I, I think, are where you really start to worry. And you know, I, I think Falk uh, certainly missed on some balls he usually hits. There were three or four deep balls over the top that if he hits any one of, well, you know, they, the game changes a little bit. And you know, he was short on a few others. So nothing, not to say that uh, he won't hit those uh, this week. But if, if Colorado's defense was able to get into Washington State's head at all, uh, or if you know, Colorado's offense was able to create some sort of blueprint for uh, how to you know, keep it going on third down against the Cougars, mm-hmm. then maybe that's where you, you start to worry a little bit. I want to talk about Luke Falk a little bit more. You know, it didn't complete a ton of his passes, still threw for plenty of yards uh, against Colorado, Jacob, but didn't quite look like himself uh, at times in those games. Like you said, missing some of those deep passes we are very accustomed to him hitting. That's probably just a product of, you know, he hasn't really faced an honest-to-God defense that good probably since the UCLA game. And, I mean, we could probably say all year he hasn't seen a defense that good, but he's going to see another one that good this week. He's probably got to figure it out uh, what exactly he was doing wrong against Colorado if he wants to have some success against the Huskies on Friday. Right, and what the, what Colorado was able to do was really take away the the room for error. He wasn't able to to, to miss and think that well, uh, my wide receiver will just come down with it because those Colorado DBs broke up eight passes. If if they could get a finger on it, they will. And I mean, you saw that uh, Kevin King's number one Sports Center play this week. Uh, you know, if they get a finger on it, the, the Huskies might intercept it. Um, you know, you you, you see uh, Falk missing more often because he's having to make much harder throws and he's having to do it with a, with a guy in his face, whereas these last few weeks he's been able to just sort of feast. And really he's missed some passes these last few weeks, but it just doesn't really matter because the, the defenses they were playing weren't very good and they were able to just hit the next pass and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. But when you get into it, when you take a shot against Colorado or Washington and you miss, 
second and ten against Colorado and Washington's a, a pretty rough spot to be. So they certainly need to play a lot tighter on offense to put up enough points to win. And uh, it, it really could come down to a, a couple key plays like that and whether or not when you know Jamal Morrow slips out of the backfield or when Gabe Marks finally shakes the guy going deep down the sideline, whether or not they're able to put, put the ball where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other thing I, you know, kind of noticed on Saturday as well, Jacob, is that, you know, the defense really struggled against Colorado. They racked up about 600 yards of offense. No Isaac Dotson uh, for WSU, but, and, you know, Robert Barber still getting back in the swing of things. He hasn't been at practice uh, during his suspension. Did play a little bit uh, in Boulder. What was the, what, what for you, if you had to pick out one thing, you know, besides the third down problem, which we talked about in our opening uh, was there a problem other than that for this defense and those missed tackles? Is there something maybe a little more subtle that we're missing that uh, was causing them some problems against Colorado? Well, Mike Leach sort of credited not being in the right gaps a lot on defense. And you mm-hmm. did see that uh, Philip Lindsay and, and their running game, were they were able to, to get six yards. They were able to gash them pretty frequently. And, and the Huskies have a, a couple of really good running backs. You know, Miles Gaskins is already over 1,000 yards. Uh, LeVon Coleman has had a couple hundred yard games this year, and he, he can hurt you as well. So if if those uh, if the linebackers not being in the right gaps, or the defensive linemen uh, sort of you know misreading their assignments is an issue, uh, you know the Huskies will be able to take advantage of it as well. Now you wonder how much of that assignment football that Leach is talking about is due to a, a mobile quarterback and Seth Lufau sort of changing all the uh, all the math on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Alex Grinch is a defense often seems to really account for every single option except their running quarterback and if the quarterback runs he can you know make hay and and Jake Browning isn't as much of a threat to do that although in the red in the red zone you know he, he's had a couple 10 plus yard touchdown runs this year and he, he can hurt you there as well so it's certainly something to keep watching out for but if the the struggles with the running game were all sort of because of the threat that Colorado's quarterback presented to run then maybe it's not too much of an issue this week. Mm-hmm. But if Colorado was able to, if, you know, if it's because their uh, blocking game was very good or because the, the Cougars just weren't in the right spots, then they need to get that cleaned up really quickly because they have a short week and less time to game plan. I, you know, I'm not normally one to, to read a ton into any decision Mike Leach has, you know, that's not, uh, you know, that's on the football field when it comes to fourth downs and whatever else. He's just kind of going to go for what he wants to go for. I, I thought Powell's 51-yard field goal attempt was a little curious, though, Jacob, because if I'm remembering right, the down the distance wasn't that great to pick it up, and even though you are at elevation, so Powell can, in theory, kick it further, and he did. I mean, he, he had plenty of distance on that kick. Asking a guy who's had trouble kicking from 51 yards seemed to be a bit of a departure from what Mike Leach likes to do there. Did that surprise you when he, when he ran Powell out to attempt that field goal? It was a bit of a surprise, but she, what you got to remember is that the coaches came into this year really thinking that they had this all-American type kicker in Powell. He he had been hitting from 55 plus yards in practice with regularity. Mm-hmm. He was very accurate last season, so you know you didn't think that it was a mental that he had some mental issue or that he wasn't an accurate kicker. And he'd really shown off his leg, and they've been expecting that all season. Coming into the Colorado game, it seemed like he sort of gotten back on the right track. He'd hit a, mm-hmm. he'd hit a bunch of field goals in a row. row. Uh, his percentage is never going to be good this year. You can't start off missing that many and sort of recover from that. But it seemed like he was back in his rhythm. 
And I think part of it, honestly, was at least just wanting to sort of take the shot and see, okay, is this the guy that we can trust when we need a field goal from 50 yards? This seems like a good opportunity to do it. It's not particularly high pressure, mm-hmm. and we're at altitude. So uh, he should be able to get the distance easily. This isn't the kick that should psych him out too much. I, I think maybe some of the uh, the impetus for kicking there was just to, to get Powell a 50-yarder uh, before they really needed him to make a 50-yarder. Mm-hmm. Coming into this week, uh, you're on a short week again like you were last year for the Apple Cup, but you are at home and you know exactly who your starting quarterback's going to be this week, unlike last year. Those two things combined, how big of a difference is that just for the players and the coaches kind of psychologically, you think? I mean, obviously we're not going to get too much of an insight into Mike Leach's mind. The man does anything he can to deflect from what he's you know, really thinking sometimes, even though he does talk a lot more than most coaches, but... How much do you think that helps? Because the, they have the week off from school. You know, UW's still going to classes, so they, they have all the time in the world they want this week to focus on that game, and they get to do it at home, in their own bed, all that good jazz, and they know they have Luke Falk. Does that help them a lot this week? Well, I have to think it helps them a great deal, just because, like I've said, these last few years, having talked to some players, more players, I, I do think that the, uh, the Cougars headed into the Apple Cup a little bit psyched out. And I think you saw that, uh, at least certainly both these last two Apple Cups, that were largely not very competitive. Uh, and I think quite a bit of that is just not having your quarterback, not having the, the voice in the huddle that you've been hearing all through fall camp, all through the season. And uh, if nothing else, because you didn't have him last year, having him this year will be sort of a reassurance. So, you know, you know you're at full strength. You figure, you know, we're, we got to beat these guys. We got to go get these guys at some point. And now we're not doing it with our with our arm tied behind our back. We, you know, we. I think you get a certain boost from finally going into this really, really big fight at full strength. So it's it's certainly uh, it's of course it's a positive to to have your quarterback back just because he's the the best player at that position. That's why he's the starter. Mm-hmm. But I also think there is certainly a, a psychological benefit the Cougars will receive as well, and in knowing that. Uh, they're not a man down for once and seemingly yeah. the first time in almost everybody's career. I uh, get, you know, I mean, this game, this game's for all the marbles for lack of a better term. I mean, there, there hasn't been an apple cup this important and, you know, goodness knows how long do you think the play, you know, you talked about them feeling a little extra pressure. Do you, the coaches try to probably keep as much of that from them as possible. Right. Because I mean, you know, they, they, as much as, you know, players and coaches like to say, we don't read the newspapers, we don't read about that stuff, they do read it and they do understand what's on the line. But is there a way the coaches kind of, you know, try to keep their focus off of that? And, I, you know, it is, it is kind of, it is just another game, but at the same time it's not just another game, if that makes any sense. Is there a way they can kind of dance around that with them? Or is it just kind of a, you know what, guys, yeah, this is a really important football game and we really need to win it. Well, I mean, Leach, you know, he... He certainly seems to be cutting out any and all distractions he can this week. They uh, they didn't make players available, mm-hmm. and when we talked to Leach, it was, you know, he, he was not going to concede an inch that this game was any different than any other game, uh, even though it clearly is right. Like, you know, for all the reasons you said, this is a much bigger game. Uh, no other game had the impact on the season that this game will have, one way or the other. But you know, he just hammers the point home that. Every, every game, uh, you know, the only reason you're in this position is because of all those other games, and, and you shouldn't have been holding anything back in those other games or you would never be in this position. And I think that's certainly what they're hearing in team meetings. That's what they're hearing in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And that's the mindset they're trying to instill. Whether or not that's successful, well, it's 
it's really almost impossible to eliminate all those distractions. I mean, these these players have too many friends on the other team. They're texting too much. Uh, you know, left guard Cody O'Connell went to high school with UW left tackle uh, Trey Adams. You know, you, you don't yeah. think that they're talking a little bit about the Apple Cup. Uh, you know, Peyton Palour comes from a family that is – University of Washington and Washington State University football royalty. You know, there's just there's really no way to avoid the fact that this game just means a lot more, particularly to the players uh, who are from Washington. Mm-hmm. But I think the coaches are going to do everything they can to uh, to rein that in as much as possible. If Colorado's defense kind of gave you Dub a little bit of a blueprint for what to do on Friday, do you think there's something that WSU could have learned from that? We, we talked about it a little bit already, and I'll ask Christian about this as well. But is there one thing that WSU can do against the W or against the UW defense that should have them worried a little bit? Because we're talking about two defenses that are just about as stout as the one another. You didn't get a Nice break before the Apple Cup like we thought you might before the season. So is there one thing WSU can do Friday that uh, maybe might exploit a little weakness on the UW defense? Or is there just you're going to have to attack it with what you got and hope for the best? Well, I think in terms of uh, preparation from Colorado, I I, I think it's a reminder to Washington State's wide receivers just how physical they have to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're going to play a defense that – the cornerbacks are so athletic that at the line of scrimmage, they can they will get as handsy as they possibly can. They will be tugging on you. They'll be grabbing on you. They don't feel like they need to give you any space because they're quick enough to turn and run with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Colorado has probably two of the five best cornerbacks in the Pac-12. And, and, uh, and Sidney Jones and Kevin King, UW probably has two of the six or seven best. And so... Uh, having had a sort of a probably a, what was a rude awakening in terms of playing not only the best cornerback they'd seen all season against Colorado, but playing the second best as well, uh, you know it's it's not going to be tougher than that. At least you know they've they know what to expect now. Uh, you know Gabe Marks and those wide receivers, uh, you know they have the week to kind of reflect on that, sit on that, and gather themselves for what they know will be a, a very similar test against the Huskies. Mm-hmm. If in your heart of hearts here, it's kind of early in the week, but uh, give me kind of a re- right in the area final score prediction. What you're thinking? It's, I think it's about six and a half right now to Washington uh, in Vegas. That seemed about right to me where it was opening. Roughly a touchdown favorite. You kind of see it that way uh, on Friday, or is this is this just going to be something that keeps everybody's blood pressure up until the final gun? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I think about six points is probably fair looking at the two teams mm-hmm. looking at the course of the season I, I think uh, you know when you when you, you heard you know some bedwetting Wazoo fans saying that you know oh, I think it's going to be two touchdowns no it, it was never going to be two touchdowns especially not in Pullman but Washington uh, you know for what they've done on the field they they have earned the right to be considered the favorite in this game I, I think that's fair mm-hmm. but you know at the start of the year I said that this game was going to come down uh to the wire, and uh, I won't make my pick yet, but I, I certainly think it's going to be a, a tense game until the final second. Oh, goody. <laughs> Jacob Thorpe from the Spokesman Review. We love having him on the show constantly. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. His roommate for the weekend, Christian Cable, coming up next on the Coop Center Hour.
back here on the Coog Center Hour, our annual visit uh, with one of our favorite people in the whole wide world to visit with. A man who misses, I'm sure, the expense of drinking at the zoo rather than having beers uh, in the U District, which I assume is a little bit more expensive. Uh, Mr. Christian Capel, the Tacoma News Tribune, joins us on the show. Is that true? or the, do, you, do you at least miss the expense of being in Pullman a little bit, the little cheaper to be over there, right, I, I have to assume? Uh, just a little bit, yeah. I think I think uh, your good pal Jacob Thorpe is still living in the apartment that I was in when I left, mm-hmm. and it's uh, he's paying when you when you factor in the the garage parking fee that I pay here uh, in my lovely one bedroom apartment near the Seattle U campus. I think he's paying about nine hundred dollars a month less than I am. So <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, you, there's there's a <laughs> There's a give and take there, mostly take. But. Sa- salaries are just excellent for sports writers, though, is my understanding, and journalists that cover sports teams. So I, th- I think you guys are you're good. Handy told me you guys drive around in limousines everywhere, so I, I assume it's not that much of an extra burden on you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What he left out is we're we're the ones driving the limousines. Ah, uh, oh. it's, a, it's a it's a side gig. There's okay. someone else in the in the back. That's yeah. That's I'm so I I apologize. I must have missed that part. It's a subtle difference. Yeah, very, very small, but it is an important one. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I, you know, I, besides you driving a limo, you do cover a very good uh, football team. We were recording this before uh, the CFP rankings. Obviously, UW probably moves up uh, to number five with Louisville's loss in that, though. I think coming into this season, Christian, you know, this was another season with a lot of expectations on Washington. And, you, you know, previous to this, it kind of seemed like they either – didn't fulfill it all the way to where we thought they could or they just they just didn't quite get there but this was finally the season they got all the way there and that that probably leaves everybody in and around the program in a pretty good mood does it not yeah you know I, there was a lot of hype preseason so it kind of seemed ridiculous at times um, people throwing Washington out there as a sort of a dark horse or a trendy dark horse pick to make the playoff and um it was definitely easy to roll your eyes at some of that. I know I did, but you know, I, it's it's year three, and I, I think that is, you know, Chris Peterson had um, been in a totally honest moment. The, the, you know, when he got here, this was probably the year, knowing just kind of the the recruiting class that they were working on at that time in their first year and mapping it out down the road. This was probably the year that they really felt like they would have enough of their guys in place and their system in place and. Um, you know, that, that ideal combination of young players who are good enough to be on the field now, like Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin, Trey Adams, and some of those deep Sarkeesian recruits who uh, were going to stick around and, and kind of help form the basis of their defense in particular, like Azim Victor and Keyshawn Bieria, Elijah mm-hmm. Qualls, Kevin King type of guys. And, I, you know, I think they just struck that balance really well this year. Obviously, um, it helped that he kind of right away got – the, the quarterback that he wanted sort of in that same Kellen Moore mold. I know it's so lazy and cliche to compare him to Kellen Moore because it's like, okay, who's the best quarterback Chris Peterson's had? Well, Jake Browning <laughs> must be just like him. Yeah. But, you know, the way they play the game, I don't think there's there's any doubt there is some comparison to be made there uh, other than the fact that I think when it's all said and done, we'll, we'll probably be talking about Jake Browning like, um, you know, in, in, in a way that makes it pretty clear he's probably better than Kellen Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think – Offensively, they knew what they had. They knew the promise they had. They knew the talent they had. They knew they had John Ross coming back off of an ACL surgery. That he would add something to the offense that wasn't there last year. But 
he never really played a ton of receiver, and was he really going to be a guy who you could throw to six, seven, eight, nine times a game? He's turned out to be all that and more. I mean, he's, I don't think, I don't know that anyone really saw him having this kind of season in terms of just the production, and he's got 15 touchdown catches and all that. You know, Miles Gaskin has been what they, they saw from him last year. Browning took a big step forward. The offensive line took a big step forward. They protect the passer a lot better. And uh, the, the defense well, it has just kind of been, uh, to borrow a, a phrase from Dennis Green, what, who we thought they were. That's yeah. what, uh, you know, I, there was one sure thing, one, um, you know, sort of constant from last year that everybody assumed would, would just be the case is that they would be really good defensively. And for the most part, they have. So, yeah, I mean, this has just kind of been, uh, I think, the most ideal uh, outcome of, of, of what the, the hype was preseason. I want to talk about uh, one thing you mentioned in there that I think is really important, Christian, and that's the return of John Ross this year. We, we he was out all of last year with that ACL tear, uh, you know, bad injury for him. Uh, but, you know, it's not that Browning's completion percentage, you know, has, has been, you know, so much ridiculously better from what it was last year, only hovering about a percentage point higher but his yards per attempt are a full yard and a half better. How much of that is John Ross? I know Dante Pettis, Chico McClatcher, also very good receivers, but how much of that is having a guy in John Ross that, I mean, got, you know, put him on a straight route down the field, put the ball up there, and he's probably going to get to it because he's going to outrun whoever's covering him. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he helps. He helps a lot. And Chris Peterson, I think, will be kind of one of the first people to, to tell you that. And it, it isn't just... Um, you know, okay, the passing game struggled last year. Okay, well, here's this really fast guy. Now they can throw it long to him. Mm-hmm. They do have that, but I think um, the the biggest factor is that they were pretty good running the ball last year. And so teams who know that they can't really match up with, with Washington if the mm-hmm. Huskies are doing everything they want to do offensively are going to say first and foremost, and you, know, you saw this from Rutgers in the season opener from California most recently, okay, hey, we know we can't stop these guys. You know, we, we can't stop all their weapons, so we're just going to load the box and try to take away the run and hope that that, you know, kind of interrupts what they're trying to do. Last year, that might have been, a, you know, a pretty successful game plan because they just didn't have that athleticism. They didn't have that deep threat to kind of take the top off. Now you've got John Ross outside and you've got Dante Pettis, who, you know, I think offensive coordinator Jonathan Smith has said is probably the most improved player on the offense. Mm-hmm. You've got those two guys on the outside, so if teams come and, and try to load that box and totally commit to stopping the run, Jake Browning is going to get up there, see that, a lot like Luke Falk does, and check into, okay, I've got one-on-one with John Ross, and this, that safety is going to play that low. All right, well, I, I know what the call is here. And step up there, check into it, and, and throw it deep to one of those guys because they have two athletes on the outside who they mm-hmm. can rely to, to kind of win that route. They've passed every test this year, have the Huskies. They beat Arizona in overtime in Tucson. Kind of a surprising result given where Arizona is now, but that game was in late September, nearly two months ago. Uh, The only hiccup so far, Christian, was that loss at home uh, to what we know now is a very good USC team. What was it the Trojans did in that game that disrupted uh, Washington so much? Because, I, I mean, they just, you know... We, we'd seen this offense kind of rolling for so many weeks, and they just absolutely got completely and totally flustered, it seemed like, uh, against the Trojans. Only 17 yards of rushing. That had to well, I mean, take Browning's minus 36 out of it because I hate the NCAA and their sack yardage. But what, what exactly did the USC do uh, to come into Seattle and win that football game? 
Yeah, they were they were the first team that Washington played all season that just completely dominated them um, at the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. defensively. You know, early on, they, their USC's offensive line kind of seemed to win that battle too. I think the Huskies' defense settled down and played pretty well in the second half. They only gave up uh, seven points after halftime, and then you had the the safety there at the end. But you know, really, I think um, that was the best defensive line that they've played, mm-hmm. the most physical defensive line they played, the biggest front seven they played. You know, I think you saw. On their first drive, when they had it moving a little bit, uh, they run that that reverse to John Ross, the, the same play that went for a touchdown against Arizona, and, and um, with a, they got a, a big gain on it in another game, too. It's been pretty successful. Um, but USC has a, a linebacker who is able to beat John Ross to the edge, chase him down, and tackle him for like an eight-yard loss. Mm-hmm. And just that play, I think that play uh, on its own kind of sums up just how much different that challenge is playing a team who runs so well and it's, the defense is so fast sideline to sideline and you're not going to beat them outside and um, you know and just just physically they pushed the pocket on Browning all night I think they only had three sacks but they were chasing him around a lot and mm-hmm. forcing forcing some bad throws you know he tries to tries to get one deep to Aaron Fuller up the right sideline and Adoree Jackson picks it off easily and throws another pick to Adoree Jackson in the fourth quarter, throwing across his body, trying to make something happen. I mean, that's a US, that USC defense just has so many athletes, so much speed, so much size, and Washington just had not seen that this year. And, you know, I think that kind of exposed them a little bit, maybe not, not as it pertains to playing against Washington State or even maybe against Colorado, although Colorado's defense is very good and very mm-hmm. fast and very physical. But if we're talking about Washington as a playoff contender, you watch the way that they sort of got pushed around against USC, and you think, okay, like, can these guys are maybe going to go play Alabama in a semifinal? Like, wow, that, that might get a little ugly. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think USC was the first defense that made Washington's offense look very mortal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Jake Brown and Christian. He's, I, you know, I he's. No Cougar fan can deny anything. That kid's a very, very good quarterback, and I think took an even bigger step forward uh, than maybe we thought this year. Uh, again, you know, having John Ross back certainly helps. Uh, but w- what does he do so well that makes him so good in UW's system? I know he was a little flustered under pressure from SC, but that's you know to be expected when you're getting you know that good athletes into the backfield that often. But what makes him so good? Uh, at what he does uh, in this offense for UW? I think the biggest thing is he's just really, really smart. Mm-hmm. He's, re- he's really smart, um, not just football IQ, but just in general. Uh, he's obsessed with football. That's all he does. I mean, they have to, they have to you know, yell at him sometimes to leave the film room because he's just in the facility all the time. He enjoys you know, where some guys when they're in the end of their second or third year and Chris Peterson kind of tells it like, Hey, when you're a freshman coming in and you're learning the system and you're playing catch up, it's a lot easier to dedicate yourself to the film study. Cause it's all stuff you don't know. And you feel sort of behind. So there's some urgency there to learn it. Like, okay, I got, I got to get on the same page as everyone else. What really sets people apart in film study is after they've learned the principles and the foundation of the system, do they stick with it? Do they, do they still, you know, look at it as something each week that, hey, this is essential to my preparation? Mm-hmm. Or do they look at it as, oh, you know, come on, I already know this. Like, this is just sort of tedious. And Browning is, is not that way at all. I mean, he's, he's totally into it. Um, he probably is the hardest worker on the team. And then that has enabled them this year to put a lot more on his plate pre-snap. So he had some checks last year, and he had some different looks last year that if he saw, mm-hmm. he, he had the autonomy to change the play and change the route, check into a run or check out of a run. 
but this year they put they they've added a lot more. I think they kind of saw okay, you know, this guy was a freshman last year. They didn't really want to overburden him with that kind of stuff. But now that he's a sophomore, now that he's got you know two whole off seasons under his belt, and he is that sort of high IQ player who sees the field so well and sees formation so well, mm-hmm. they uh, they've really given him the ability to pretty much change anything he wants this year. You know, and so just like in the air raid, um, it's up to Luke Falk to to make sure that. You know, hey, if the defense is showing four or five guys in the box, let's run this thing on third and three. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's sort of uh, Jake Browning has those responsibilities now too, and I, I think he's he's handled them about as well as, as he could have hoped. They've, they've hit a lot of long touchdown passes on plays that were that were called as runs that, that he just saw coverage and checked into, and um, that's the, he's been really good in the red zone that way. And I, I think that sort of was the next obvious step in his evolution, but he's he's handled it about as, as well as they could have hoped. WSU gets a, uh, I guess I could use quote fingers here, an honor of facing two really good defenses uh, back-to-back. In fact, uh, defensive S&P puts Washington and Colorado right next to each other, 11th and 12th in the country. Washington gets the leg up uh, at 11th. Uh, this defense, even without Azeem Victor Christian, is obviously one of the best in the country. Uh, but it, what's the one thing they do maybe better than anything else. You know, I can see they're rushing and passing S&Ps roughly about the same, but do they defend the pass or the rush a lot better, or is it just overall just all really good, or is there one thing they do a little bit better than the other? You know, they've been, I think they've been a little shaky at times against the run. I think, like, if their their yards per carry allowed in Pac-12 play isn't great. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but I think they were, mm-hmm. like, seventh or eighth in the conference in um, yards per rush allowed against Pac-12 opponents only. That was going into the Arizona State game, and they only gave up 15 yards rushing in that game. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that number has probably, probably improved since then. But, uh, you know, I think their corners uh, cover better than, than any that I've seen this year, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they you see Kevin King going up and, and batting away passes in the end zone against Arizona State. He goes up and, you know, grabs the interception with one hand. And, you know, Sidney Jones pretty much doesn't see any action, you know, I and mean, he was only targeted like nine times or something in their first five games. And, um, you know, they go down to California and, and put him on Chad Hansen. And, you know, so Cal, you know, Cal has no choice but to target him because that's their best receiver. And he comes away with two interceptions. And, um, you know, they just, they have two just absolute definition of lockdown corners out there. Two guys who are going to play in the NFL next year and, um, no matter how banged up they've been, maybe up the middle, like with the Zim Victor out, and how much their pass rush has suffered with Joe Mathis out, and how creative they've had to get sending extra pressure and sending linebackers on blitzes to make up for the fact that Joe Mathis is out and they're not getting the same kind of pressure with, with just their front four, those corners. And, I mean, the safeties have, have been really good, too. Just kind of that that whole secondary has mm-hmm. been pretty pretty consistent and just not really allowing much. But, you know, there was some give and take there against USC I think when they they really did have to bring extra pressure Sam Darnold is is so effective at dancing around back there and creating time and creating new throwing lanes and so you know any secondary that has to cover receivers for six seven eight seconds is going to give up some completions and they did but uh, I I think uh, I don't think there's been a group on the team that's been as consistent as those guys this year Mm -hmm. if there's one thing Christian offensively or defensively that Washington is worried about from Washington State in this game. What is it? Are they worried about Luke Falk and Gabe Marks? Are they worried about the running backs? Are they worried about 
uh, a little bit better play up front from Washington State on the defense. If, if there's one thing you think the Huskies really need to worry about, what, what would you pick uh, in terms of what to worry about from Washington State? You know, I think just the the playmaking ability of, of Luke Falk and WSU's receivers, and that's, you know, like, well, duh, everyone knows that, but uh, they, you know, use Sam Darnold as an example, right? He's big, he's got a big arm, he's obviously a good quarterback, but what really hurt them in that USC game was his ability to feel the rush, slide around you know he is fast and he can run but he's not the kind of guy who is looking to take off and gash you for 20 yards but he's going to use his legs to move around and evade the rush buy a couple extra seconds get a little scramble drill going and okay now there's a receiver open for a 20-yard gain on a play where the defense probably felt like they should have sacked and you know Luke Falk kind of has that same poise that same you know, Mike Leach obviously never wants his quarterbacks to get out and try to run for yards, and he doesn't. But if he feels the rush, he's going to step up or he's going to sidestep or he's going to do something with his legs because he's just got that poise, he's got that savvy to, to you know, get someone open, to avoid a rush, to avoid a sack, and, uh, you know, find, create some sort of chaos down the field where, you know, like I said, no, no secondary is going to be able to cover any receivers, but especially receivers as talented as, Gabe Marks and Tavares Martin and um, you know everyone else that they have. And I, I think that's just kind of the concern is, first of all, can they get pressure on them against an offense, WSU offensive line that's been really, really good this year? Mm-hmm. And when they do get pressure on him, they need to get to him, they need to bring him down. They can't let him sort of uh, exploit them and, and you know sort of create those new lanes by scrambling and, and creating chaos that mm-hmm. way, the, the way that Sam Darnold did. Three in a row uh, for the Huskies in this game. They've won it three times. WSU's won in the last four, three presidential election years. Uh, is another weird stat. Nobody ever needed they knew they needed, but they do apparently. Uh, th- uh, this game means more to both teams than it has probably meant in more than half a century. Uh, the pressure is on for everybody. If you had to pick it right now, early in the week, uh, what would you say the final score score will be when it's pouring down rain on Friday afternoon and you're up nice and luxurious in your press box eating pulled pork, I assume. <laughs> is it supposed to rain? It is, it is. Out. It is supposed to rain and be windy and 41 degrees, and I'll wave to you from Section 4. Uh, 41? So yep. it's not going to snow? No, it's not going to snow. <laughs> no, no snow. Just uh, right. just enough rain to make the ball wet for Luke Falk to, to let it slip out of his hands, hopefully not. But if you had to, if you had to pick a final score right now, what would you say? Okay, so as as we're watching this game in balmy, warm rain yeah. conditions, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I expected the Huskies to be favored by six. My my guess was six and a half, as I was kind of talking about with someone the day before. I wound up opening at six. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know. That's a trick. It just shows the you know the degenerate I am that I'm thinking about this in terms of the point spread. I'm actually <laughs> going to win the game, but. Uh, <laughs> I I'll probably end up picking Washington just because you know watching that Colorado game, the trouble that the Wazoo's defense had mm-hmm. getting off the field, and and you know you see the Colorado ran a hundred plays for six hundred and three yards, and um, you know the Huskies obviously run a different system. It's not like they're going to hurt them with the quarterback run the way that Lufau did, but uh, I I just I don't know that WSU has enough defensively to to 
get enough stops. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's worth wondering though on Washington's side too, with Azeem Victor and Joe Mathis out. Um, and you know, JoJo McIntosh, their starting safety was banged up at the play against Arizona State. I think Peterson said today that he's you know hopeful that he's he's able to come back. But um, I could see this end up being a high scoring game. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Washington State benefits a lot from getting Robert Barber back, but he didn't even play a ton against Colorado, right? I mean, he was he no, got him in there, much, but no, not too much. Um, so, you know, that could be a factor. How, how much more is he able to play this week? Is he able to start? Are they able to, to kind of get more out of him? Um, that, that's, you know, could be huge in, in whether or not they're able to slow down Miles Gaskin. And, um, I, I don't know. I, I I have thought about it a little bit, not enough to confidently say this is my pick right now. I'm leaning toward Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I that, that don't hold me to that. That could change by the time I sit down on Thursday to, to write my whole prediction post out but right right now i'm thinking probably we'll pick the huskies by somewhere from three to six or so just enough to completely break my heart the way i like to hear it <laughs> it's punishment punishment <laughs> driving all the way across the state for me christian cable from the tacoma news tribune you read his stuff all week he's the best guy you can to get all learnt up good on the huskies uh, and uh, a man who knows the Cougs well, too. Spent plenty of time covering them, so we really appreciate him coming on. Thank you, Christian, very much. All right, thanks, man. Anytime. Have fun on uh, Friday. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to be soaking wet. You and your palace all dry and whatnot. <laughs> time our thanks to christian cable and jacob thorpe for joining us here on the program i i, I be honest i don't really have a good one this week but it, it just mother nature for the snow like literally the first time all year it has snowed on snoqualmie pass it has to be thanksgiving weekend has to be right just gotta be thanksgiving weekend like yeah sure screw it why not why are you gonna make it harder on everybody mother nature been easy all year to get across the pass even in early november when it should start snowing on the pass nothing 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 biggest travel weekend of the year and screw everyone what's up with that huh i told you i didn't have a very good one this week ask michael anything Ask Michael anything. Thanksgiving and Apple Cup Week edition. We'll start with Dan S. Jensen, at Dan Jensen on Twitter. How much turkey is too much to eat before driving from Seattle to Pullman on Thursday night? 
however much like it's tryptophan that's like the common uh, myth that makes you really really tired right that that's what it is i would say there's no limit because i pig out on turkey but i'll i'll go about half a pound i would say about that at wazuku 1986 best sandwich recipe using leftover turkey for apple cup i'm 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 pretty standard guy i like to toast my bread mashed potatoes leftover gravy turkey on a sandwich and then warm that all up in the oven on bake you get that you just get everything warm in there you know i don't want to put it back in the microwave kind of get, makes everything mushy uh, a little bit in there and i like to put it back in the oven that's really good uh at s olin 820 sarah olin favorite apple cup game uh ever i was on the field for the 2007 one in seattle I, saw, I watched Brinks throw from the opposite end zone. Even I could see Brandon Gibson. But I, I I have a fond memory of the 2008 Crapple Cup for just, I don't know why, but Kevin Lopina's throw to Jared Carson it remains the most amazing piece of football anything I've seen to this day because I had no idea he could even throw it that far. At WSU Brady 27, Brady Hoyam, he has two questions. Will the Apple Cup be moved back to Saturday? Your favorite game day Apple Cup tradition. The Saturday Apple Cup, I, it just kind of depends on the year. It's been like, what, for the last six years, it's been on Friday, though. I don't mind it as much when it's in Seattle because the fans are there. It's a little, just, it's harder uh, when it's in Pullman. Favorite game day or Apple Cup tradition? My old favorite one was, uh, didn't they used to run the trophy or something back and forth between the two? I think that that, that would be mine. But it's, it's just really the trash talking within the family that's my favorite tradition. At Cron Matt, Matt Beatty, which matchup is more intriguing? WC wide receivers versus UW secondary or UW's wide receivers versus WSU secondary. Ooh. I go UW's wide receivers against WSU secondary because WSU's going to have to lock down those receivers. They want to have some hope in this game. I think you pretty much got to force UW to run if you want to have a hope of winning this football game. Can't let it get open up top. At Nate Cause N8, who's your favorite WSU player and why is it throw it up to nine? Gabe Marks. I mean, it just is Gabe Marks. It just, it just is. I'm going to write something this week on him. Uh, professing my further love for him, but it's just, it's Gabe Marks. How can it not be? At Glenn Duggan, more exciting to UW Community College attendee Mike Leach, fake coaching rumors, or imagine Leach slights w to UW players' team. It's that last one. They, they held on to something he said after the Apple Cup last year. It was pretty innocuous. Like he said, uh, he was like confused by why they played this way because they'd beaten better teams this year. And they got all up in arms and he wasn't giving credit to UW, or, you know, UW credit for beating them. And I kind of went, that's not untrue he's right they have beaten better teams this year it's not wrong at brett gleason what's worse being covered at a thousand tiny spiders or being pinned down by one bear-sized spider oh god oh oh my god that's horrifying everything about that is bad uh, I'll go with the bear-sized spider. That, that's just, that's, that's horrifying to think about a spider that big. Oh my god. Ugh. Ugh. I, got, I need to amend to ask Michael anything to nothing arachnid or bug involved. At Donnie Out West, four quick hitters. Best Thanksgiving side dish. Mashed potatoes. Like, just gravy, cheese, all kinds of good crap on there. Actually... My brother-in-law's mom, they are uh, uh, Cambodian, if I'm remembering right. She made hot wings and um, and hot and spicy soup last year for Thanksgiving. Oh, 
that was great. Those were, like, not a Thanksgiving dish at all, but I, if that's a Thanksgiving every year, I want that. Drink of choice on Thanksgiving. Uh, my wife's grandfather makes Bloody Marys. It, I, I drink them until, like, 6 o'clock at night normally. Not that we're driving over for the game this year, but ordinarily that's what I would do. Ideal uni combo for Cougs. All gray. Easy. Number four, least favorite Husky of all time. Ryan Appleby. Ryan Appleby. That's an easy answer for me. What to do here? What to do here? Washington State 34, Washington 31. Pac-12 championship on the way, that appearance in that game. I'm a brave man, or a stupid man. We'll see you next week on the Coop Center Hour.